I have learned so much better that there is so much more power in linking arms with women in setting a wider table and allowing every seat to be occupied by a woman instead of us fighting against each other for one. And so at Choice, I have really intentionally tried to curate a culture that honors that so that these women who are coming behind me are experiencing what it took me to my 40s to get, right? Mm, Yeah. I had to you know, scrape and claw my way to get to this place. But I want that to be the norm for them rather than the exception. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly. And this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, the companies, and the small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I get to sit down with an incredible entrepreneur, a CEO, a nonprofit director, a community leader, or just an awesome person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you, the listener, that no matter what you do for a living, you can make a difference wherever you are. My guest this week is Heather Adams. Heather is the founder and CEO of Choice Media Communications. As a self-proclaimed pop culture junkie, Heather is the communications expert leading Choice's impressive team as they serve preeminent voices in publishing, lifestyle, entertainment, business, and faith-based arenas. Choice is known for working with high-profile clients that are both soulful and interesting. Heather has played an instrumental role in launching more than 100 New York Times bestsellers and has secured clients' coverage in a host of major and elite national media. She has a huge passion for mentorship, entrepreneurship, communications, and being a working mom. She is blazing a trail for the women who come behind her. She's also the host of the Make Me Known podcast, where she shares hard-fought wisdom and lessons learned as a communications expert through conversations with savvy guests about all things communications, relationships, entrepreneurship, and empowering women in leadership. I had the best conversation with Heather. We had so much in common, and she's one of those people who you just instantly feel like you've been friends for years as soon as you get to talking. I know that somebody is really going to just walk away from this conversation feeling empowered, encouraged. We talked a lot about mentorship. And so if that is something that maybe is on your heart, whether you're looking for a mentor or you would love to be a mentor, man, this conversation is for you. But before I get to my conversation with Heather, I want to thank our partner of the show, and that is Mama Suds. Now, as you know, after a long, cozy winter inside, it is time for the spring cleaning. It's time to bust open those windows, grab that Mama Suds germ cleaner, and get to cleaning. From the windows, to the walls, to the floors, to upholstery, carpets, you name it, Mama Suds has a truly safe product to help you clean it. We have used Mama Suds products in our home for years. I personally love their all-purpose cleaner. I love their laundry soap, the Castile soap, the toilet bombs. Oh my gosh, I don't think I've tried a product of Mama Suds and not liked it. I really truly love everything and they're effective. That's the other thing is they're not only clean, they're not only safe, they're not only non-toxic, but they are effective. They actually work. So head on over to mamasuds.com. That's M-A-M-A-S-U-D-S.com. Use that coupon code MOLLY for 15% off your order. Now on to my conversation with Heather. 
Heather, I'm so excited for you to be here. Thank you so, so, so much for joining us. Welcome. Molly, it's such a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I feel such privileged company that I am in to be on the show. So thank you. Oh my gosh. Well, I, you know, I have followed your work for quite a few years and you're one of those people who like, I've just kind of always known who you were. Um, cause I know you've, you've worked, uh, with some of my friends over the years. And so you're just one of those people. I'm like, I want to know her story. I want to know more about her. And so let's do that. Uh, give us the Heather 101. Tell us who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are today. Well, this ought to be fun. I mean, <laughs> here we go. So um, I grew up uh, just outside of Atlanta, Georgia, in a city called Marietta, yeah. which is where the new Braves Stadium is mm-hmm. for those people not super familiar. And I grew up in a really beautiful, idyllic like family. Um, I have a younger brother and my mom and dad have been married for this year will be their 50th wedding anniversary. Oh, I love that so much. I know my husband and I are like goals, uh, with them, Yeah, but, um, I graduated from high school and I went off to the university of Georgia. I'm a very proud Georgia bulldog. (laughs) It doesn't hurt that we are the reigning national football champions. Mm -hmm. So I'm very proud of that. Um, and when I went off to Georgia, I decided to study, um, communications in our journalism school. And I was specifically a magazines major. That's not even a major that's offered any longer. Oh my but gosh. looking back, I just, I see God's fingerprints on, on all of this. I was the yearbook editor in high school. And I remember Molly, my yearbook advisor telling me what a gift I had for storytelling. Mm. And so when I went off to college, I thought I want to be a storyteller for a living. And so I thought I would do that through magazines. And so while I was at Georgia, I did an internship for the Georgia secretary of state in his press office. And it was part of my degree was to get, a you know, an internship in my communications realm. Right. And so when I was there, this is long before scandal came out and Olivia Pope was even in existence, <laughs> but I realized that is what I want. I want to be in that position like our press secretary was, which was the buffer between the client and his client was the secretary of state and the media. He was so relationally driven and he was serving at the behest of an elected official and he was crafting, nurturing, maintaining relationships with the media on behalf of the secretary of state. And I was absolutely fascinated. And so when I graduated from Georgia, I went to work for Cobb County government, which is the county where I lived in, grew up in. I went to work in their communications department as a public information officer. Mm -hmm. And I was doing just that thing. I was moderating press conferences and writing press releases and dealing with the local media and ghost writing for our county commissioners. And I was um, hosting a government access TV show. I was doing all the things like, and, you know, I had just graduated from college. So I was this novice entry level kid. And I just wanted to learn 
everything that they would give me an opportunity to do. And so I did all the things and it was such a great foundation for me entering the communications world professionally because I got to lay out a county magazine and moderate prep, you know, I got to do all these things at once. And, um, and so, um, I went on from there, um, to a nonprofit and I was the chief marketing officer for a nonprofit and then nine 11 happened. And when nine 11 happened, it changed obviously the world as we knew it. And one of the things that happened in the nonprofit world specifically was we lost our funding. We were funded by the Woodruff Foundation, which is the family that founded Mm -hmm. Coca-Cola. And so we lost that funding. And I mean, we basically had a week to vacate the premises. It was retroactive. It was a very tumultuous, hard thing, but I immediately found myself without a job. And so I went back to work while I was searching for another communications job, I went back to work in the high school that I had attended as just a substitute teacher while I was looking for something else in communications and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I was so grateful that that opportunity presented itself because otherwise I would have not, you know, been able to pay my rent. And so, um, you know, fast forward, I met my husband during that season And my husband is from Nashville, Tennessee, which is where I live now. We started dating, got engaged and um, got married. And when we got married, I moved to Nashville. And that's when the trajectory of my career changed drastically. So I went to work for Thomas Nelson, which at the time was the world's largest Christian publishing house in their publicity department. And I all of a sudden was Max Lucado's publicist and, you know, all these like marquee Christian leaders and authors that I had been reading and admiring my entire life, you know, and I kept remember, I remember I kept thinking, I can't believe that this is my life because I have always been a reader. Um, you know, I always had my nose in a book growing up and I was taking what I was good at, which was, you know, storytelling. And I was marrying that with a love for books. And I became a publicist for, you know, authors and it was all over the spectrum, you know, cookbooks and fiction books and children's books and nonfiction adult books and, um, you know, business, uh, books and self-help. I mean, it was just kind of all over the board. And because of that, I had exposure to like the biggest thought leaders of our time. And that's really where I cut my teeth on working with major national media. So I all of a sudden was pitching Time Magazine and the New York Times and the Today Show and Good Morning America and ESPN and, you know, all these places. And that's where I spent a huge amount of my time was in the book publishing world. So I was at Thomas Nelson for the better part of a decade. And I was running the publicity department there, working with our biggest authors, leading the publicity team and all of our efforts. And the recession happened. And here I found myself laid off again. It was a season that was really tumultuous and hard because we had gone through layoff after layoff after layoff. 
So I was in like, I don't know, the fifth or sixth round of layoffs, but it was like a sharpshooter taking people out a little at a time, you know, like yeah. 25 people here, a hundred people there, 10 people. I mean, it was just crazy. And so I remember when that happened, I was so heartbroken because Thomas Nelson and that um, career there, those people were so much more than just colleagues and coworkers. They were family. And and I, I was so passionate about the work that I was doing there. And it felt like it was bigger than me. It wasn't just checking off a to-do list. It was really important work. And so it was really hard. And I went through all, you know, the stages of grief. And, um, my husband said something to me that, uh, that still sits with me today. He looked at me as I was panicked. We had a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And he said, Heather, I don't want you to take your next step out of fear, fear. We can't pay our mortgage fear. We can't feed our children. You have gone and built this beautiful career for yourself. Now go and get and create what you desire. Don't just take the next thing that's offered to you. And so I got laid off on a Friday. I remember it because I had been in New York that whole week pitching our most recent catalog and, you know, had landed a People Magazine cover and a six-week appearance on the Today Show and like all these things. And then I got home on a Friday and got laid off. And I was like, well, what the heck? Like, oh my gosh. um, But I got laid off on a Friday and on Sunday, our number one competitor CEO called and said, we heard what's happened and we'd like to talk to you. We need someone to come in and overhaul our publicity department. We need someone who can come in and help us build it from the ground up. It is not our hallmark and and we want it to be. And that was evidence that relationships really matter. relationships in your industry outside of the people that you work with day in and day out at your own company. The reason that, you know, she called me is because she, I had relationships all over the industry and those people made her aware that I had been laid off. And so they flew me to their offices and they asked me, you know, a bunch of, um, a bunch of things. I met their team and I said to them, I can do this job in my sleep. I love this job. I'm good at this job. You have um, incredible authors. I can help you overhaul this department, but I don't want to move here. I want to stay in Nashville and I want to do it on a contract con- you know, consulting basis so that I was only doing what I was really good at instead of all the like little things that you have to do because you work there, right? And I negotiated for myself and they agreed. Wow. And it was the first time, Molly, where I realized when someone has a problem and you have the answer and the solution, they will pay for that value that you bring to the table. Right. And I negotiated for myself. I ended up making double what I was making at Thomas Nelson, where I got laid off and it was on my terms. And I, so all that being said, you know, my, when I look back now, I'm like, that was the first time I kind of advocated for myself and really understood the value that I brought to the table as an employee. Yeah. And then I did that for about four and a half years and ran their department as a consultant, um, overhauled it, built up their team. 
realized what I was missing was leading my own team. Mm. I missed having that. And so that's when Choice, which is my company now, Choice Media and Communications, um, that's when we launched Choice. So, and Choice is about to be eight this summer. So seven and a half-ish years we've been around. And, you know, we serve clients in the entertainment and lifestyle space. We, of course, work with a lot of authors and always will because of my background and experience in in book publishing. We love it. We're good at it. We have longstanding, great relationships there. I mean, who doesn't love to publicize a book? I mean, it's like (laughs) the greatest gift. I'm like, are people joking? Like I get to do this for a living. I get to read for a living. And so, but we don't exclusively work with authors. Um, You know, people come to us really, Molly, for one of three reasons. They're looking for clarity. They've got 10 oars in the water. They don't know which oar to paddle first. And they're trying to figure out how to tell their story in a clear, concise, and compelling way. And they need the roadmap to do that. Um, The second reason they come is for exposure. They want to leverage our deep, longstanding relationships with media. And then the third reason they come is for an audience. You know, they're known over here to this one group, but if these people over here knew they existed, it would be a game changer for their business. And they're trying to figure out how to get to those people that aren't familiar with them. But outside of my professional career, I'm a mom to two teenage boys. And I was telling you before we started recording, it is my favorite, favorite, favorite season. Um, I love being a boy mom. They both play travel baseball and basketball. And I'm constantly on the sidelines of a baseball diamond or a basketball court. And I wouldn't be anywhere else. I love it. I've been married this uh, year will be year 19. Oh, um, congratulations. Thank you. And, um, and so, and I, um, I also mentor uh, college women. I have been a sorority advisor, the sorority I was in at Georgia. I have been an advisor for 23 years this year. I love, I that. love it. And I feel like that's my mission field is serving college women. So, oh my so that's gosh. kind of the cliff notes version of everything. I love it. I, there is so, uh, we have a lot in common and I love, I love that I did not go to Georgia. Um, but <laughs> there's a lot in your story that I was just like, man, I relate to this so much and I don't even own and run a PR firm. Um, you know, so, um, I want to go back a little bit one, cause I love yeah. that you were the, uh, editor of your yearbook in high school. I was on, uh, the yearbook in middle school. And then my first two years out of college, I was a high school teacher and I was the yearbook advisor. <laughs> Oh, girl. Yes. So you know all the pains. Oh, I know the pains. And then like the yearbook (laughs) staff being like, I have to go uh, take pictures of something. And then they just really used it as an excuse to like be gone all of class time. That's right. Um, That's exactly right. (laughs) That's Um, the big secret of the yearbook staff is they essentially get a free pass to go to Chick-fil-A during class. Yeah. Just like go, they just would go (laughs) places. And I would be like, y'all think that I don't, cause I was 22 when I started teaching high school, like not that much older than them. And so I'm sitting here being like, y'all can't like, I I know exactly what you're doing. (laughs) Um, Oh my goodness. I love it so much. And then um, also like my, so my very, very first job right out of college, like literally graduated college, moved to Richmond, Virginia the the next day. And worked for, uh, I had a a fellowship with the governor of Virginia at the time in the communications department. (laughs) And 
so oh my gosh and yes. a lot of it was like uh, but a lot of it too was dealing with like constituent correspondence which was a whole thing um yes. yeah so just very fast then I was also um an advisor for uh my sorority for a few years so it's just i we have a lot in common. I love it. And what sorority are you in? Molly? I was a FIMU in college. Oh, nice. Yeah. FIMU at Georgia have a gorgeous house. Beautiful I, house. See, I went to a really small school and they didn't get a house until like long after I left. And of course, like now it's just beautiful. And like, I think about what the quote unquote, like FIMU house was when I was there, which did, it was just like our old 19, like 70s apartments. <laughs> I'm like, y'all don't even know. Y'all lived in together. I'm like, y'all don't even know. We just rented this like old moldy apartment and y'all have this like nice house. Yeah, we didn't have any of that when I was Uh there. It's all there now. Um, But I I live now in the the Raleigh-Durham area of North Carolina. And so I was the advisor at the UNC Chapel Hill. uh, Oh, yeah, sure. uh, chapter for a little while, but I haven't in a few years, but I also like love working with, um, you know, college women and, and, you know, kind of yes. in that mentorship capacity. So any, in any event, I, I have a lot in common with you. I love it so I much. I love knowing that. Yeah. yeah, I know. It's really fun. Um, so, but I, you know, the reason I kind of go back and I, I talk about all of that is, was there a time, you know, and I, I love that you mentioned too, that your, your yearbook advisor kind of spoke that over you saying like, you have a really big talent for this. And I mean, I remember there were some, some of the students that I worked with when I was a teacher that I, I remember being very intentional and pulling them aside and trying to be like, hey, you are really talented at this. And in fact, this is a really fun little quick digression side story. One of my students who I taught, I was her 10th grade English teacher, and then she was also on my yearbook staff. And I remember like, I was like, you are really creative and you're really good with the the camera and you're just a really talented photographer. And uh, today, like she is now a professional photographer. And she actually this past summer, she lives not far from me here in North Carolina, even though I taught her in Virginia. And she did like she photographed my um, my like updated headshots. And I remember thinking like, this is so fun. I haven't seen you (laughs) in like. What a cyclical moment too to be the one that like inspired that in her or encouraged it in her. Yeah. And then for her to pay that forward to you with her talents later on. That's so special. It was really, it was really, really cool. But I think that it kind of speaks to what I, you know, a little bit of what I know about you is that you had this this teacher, and I'm sure that maybe there were even other adults um, in your life that, you know, began to just speak over you. Hey, you're, I see this talent in you. I see this skill in you. And now you're taking that and paying right. it forward and working um, in a, you know, in a mentorship capacity. So talk to us about those two connections, about like what that was like for you as a young person Um you know, being encouraged and being mentored by somebody in your life and how that then has translated to your passion for mentorship today? Well, I think Molly, it all starts with somebody believing in you before you believe in yourself. Right. Right. Um, So Jolly Douglas, who was my yearbook editor and Sandy Case, who was my 11th grade honors English teacher, (laughs) both complimented me and encouraged me in my writing, in my storytelling, in my gift for communication. And because of that, I believed in my ability because they were validating that 
as someone that I admired, I respected, I looked up to, right? It's kind of like when I got to college and I was um, in the sorority, I'm an AOPI, and my chapter advisor, Maynine Klein, believed in me as a leader and encouraged that and wanted me to run for office and encouraged me and told me, you know, I see these qualities in you. You have so much potential. Let's bring that out. Hmm. And it was that investment in me, that encouragement, that validation from these women that it was before I believed in that myself, right? But because of them, I stepped out in fear or I stepped out and took a chance. And, you know, what a friend of mine, um, you know, and I were recently talking about just the mentors that I've had in my life. And I think you probably, Molly, could do the same thing. You can think back on your life up to this point and you can pick out a handful of people that had a significant impact on the trajectory of your life in some way. Um, when I got to Thomas Nelson, my boss, Pamela Clements, who is still my beloved mentor today, really poured into me. She took me to New York. She introduced me to all of her personal relationships with major national media. It was like she was passing me the baton and she was saying, I believe in you. You can do this. And she equipped me so that I would be successful when I did those things. She's the one who said to me, hire better and smarter than you and don't be intimidated know that those people are going to make you better and smarter. And, um, you know, I look back at all those women and I think I am standing here um, owning a business, leading an all-female team, serving predominantly female clients because of those women that poured into, developed, and empowered me. And, you know, I, I think it is my responsibility as a female leader to do the exact same thing to women coming behind me, to pass the baton back to them, to pour into them um, and empower and develop them so that they can go and do those things, you know, 20 years from now, um, you know, like I've had the privilege of doing in my career. You and I are recording this on International Women's Day. I was just about to say that. I was like, how coincidental is that? I love that. It is. Well, and I just wrote a blog post today about how it's my responsibility to lead differently than I personally behaved. And I wrote this article, and I think this is important for us to consider as women and as we're evolving in our leadership and in our businesses and in our um, careers. You know, when I was early in my career, right out of college, all the way to my probably early thirties, you know, I was so headstrong and driven and ambitious and scrappy. And I wanted to achieve so much professionally, but I was doing it at the expense of everybody else. Right. I wanted to be first. I wanted to be best. I wanted to win. And I wanted you to know that I was the one that had done it. Mm. And what I realized um, was I was jeopardizing some really strong relationships and partnerships with colleagues because I was doing that, particularly women. There was one seat for a woman at the table. And so I was doing everything I could to get to that seat. And I just want to encourage, you know, women listening, what was once your downfall 
can now be your hallmark because I, I have learned so much better that there is so much more power in linking arms with women in setting a wider table and allowing every seat to be occupied by a woman instead of us fighting against each other for one. And so at Choice, I have really intentionally tried to curate a culture that honors that so that these women who are coming behind me are experiencing what it took me to my forties to get right. Mm, Yeah. I had to, you know, scrape and claw my way to get to this place, but I want that to be the norm for them rather than the exception. Oh man. I think that's such a beautiful perspective because You know, it's really fascinating to me just the dynamics sometimes that we see among women um, in business when it it tends to go one of two ways where it's either like, hey, let's have a perspective of like, it's not like there's just one pie and you eat one slice of the pie and then, uh uh-oh, there's like less pie. And (laughs) you know what I mean? Like thinking about it in the terms of, you know, just there's, uh, you know, having an abundance mentality versus this scarcity mentality. And so there's like, there tends to be two different kind of mindsets, I feel. And men are totally different. Like they have like a whole nother, like they're not afraid to like stand up and like puff their chest up like when they walk in the room. Well, and they're not afraid of their, the other's success, right? Right. Your success does not diminish my opportunity. Correct. But I think as women, we've been conditioned to believe that that was the case. Yep. And that's why in my early twenties or in my twenties and early thirties, that's why I behave like that is because I was conditioned to believe that's what I had to do in order to advance. And now I know differently, right? I just want women to know it earlier than I learned. (laughs) You know, and I think too, is a lot of times, and I don't know how true this was for you or not, but I know, like, I think back to, uh, you know, childhood and high school, like I did a lot of things that were put me in a predominantly male, uh, Mm -hmm. like I was surrounded mostly by guys. So, I mean, I did, I played golf growing up. And so like, you know, on my high school team, like guess how many girls there were? like one (laughs) me, Um, you know, and so I constantly was having to prove myself to make my worth known. I was as good as if not better than most of the guys on the team. And it took me two years to even make the team um, because my my coach didn't want a girl on the team. He just thought that, well, Mm -hmm. you know, that's going to bring us down even though I was scoring better than the guys, but that's a whole nother thing. And then I also, I did comedy and guess what? Comedy is also a very predominantly male thing. And so I felt like I was caught because we always hear girls aren't funny. Girls aren't funny when I'm like, you don't know the right girls. And so it was always, I always felt like I was in this position where I had to prove myself. And then, then when I get into you know, adult life and I start going, you know, into spaces where there are more women, I had to rewrite that narrative in my brain where it was like, no, I don't have to actually prove that I belong here. I, because there are other women that want me here and I don't have to like try to be like one of the guys. It was, it was a mindset shift. And I know so Mm -hmm. many other women who have struggled with that in so many different areas whether, you know, so I don't know if you were ever, if you ever kind of experienced that as well, if you felt like there were places where you just felt like you had to prove that you deserved to be there. Right. 
Well, mine was slightly different, but similar in that I was, I've always been direct. I've always been outspoken. I've always been kind of had like this kind of commanding presence and I've always been assertive. Well, as a young girl, instead of that being applauded and recognized and celebrated, Mm -hmm. it was attempted to be squashed, right? Like you're bossy. Um, you need to be quiet. Uh, my mom, for example, still to this day tells the story about when she went in for my very first kindergarten parent teacher conference, her and my dad were sitting there and the teacher looked at them and said, Heather is a really smart, bright child. I just wish she would let me teach my class <laughs> rather than her trying to be the one controlling the class. And my mom said, even in kindergarten, you wanted to be the leader. You wanted to be the teacher. And instead of the teacher recognizing that and celebrating that and trying to find a way to bring that out, she was trying to put you in a corner and keep you quiet. And thankfully I have a mother that would not tolerate that. And a father that, you know, my parents always celebrated that. And I had such a great example in my mom as a leader, as a direct, you know, assertive woman. And so that's kind of what I dealt with even in, in early in my career was, you know, you're bossy, you need to be quiet. You need to listen more, you know, all those things. And certainly some of that stuff was beneficial to hear, but some of it honestly jeopardized my confidence also wasn't bringing out like the sweet spot of what I offered the company, right. Or what I offered um, in the ability to lead. And so Mine was a little bit different, but I totally relate and and understand what what you mean. I think we are conditioned to believe we have to make ourselves smaller in a room, in a setting, particularly when men are around. Particularly. And it, it just doesn't have to be the case. And, you know, I'm only raising boys. And, and hoping that they will be incredible men. Yeah. And one of the things my husband and I are adamant about teaching them is how to be allies and champions for women and how those, those women in the room with them, um, deserve every single bit of the stage as much as they do just because they're a man. So yeah, I could get on a soapbox here, Molly, with you. I'm confident. Girl. Well, <laughs> Here we go. I got, I got all the feels about that. Cause I, I, that totally same thing has happened to me and so many. And I think that there are right now can picture it in my mind's eye, believing, believing by faith that there are women driving in their car right now, or, you know, folding laundry or, you know, doing grocery shopping or they're doing something They're maybe they're working, whatever they're doing, they've got their earbuds and they're listening to this conversation. They're going, yep. Yep. Uh-huh. 100 like preach sister. Preach. Preach. preach that's what I experienced too. <laughs> yes. I think that is, a, it is such a common female uh, experience of just having, totally. there's always, cause I, same thing. I got in trouble in high school or, in, you know, growing up in elementary school for talking and class. Yeah, and yeah. so now I get paid to talk cause I have a podcast, um, you know, exactly. uh, you know, for laughing too loudly. Uh, for being too assertive or, you know, my parents always told this story of like when I was in, <laughs> when I was in elementary or no, when, sorry, when I was in preschool, when I was in preschool, uh, if there were, if kids were playing a game that I did not want to play, I would just go and sit on the game. <laughs> 
my parents thought that was like nope, the funniest thing ever. for me. Yeah, Thanks, like, y'all. <laughs> I would just be like, you know no, what, Molly? We're playing something because else. Because you and I had that experience. <laughs> I think it's our responsibility to change the narrative for the women coming behind us. That's why it's so important to me that the culture and environment at choice is collaborative and we're championing and celebrating each other and we're helping each other. A win for one is a win for all, Yeah, you know, and that's why on our podcast and at our choice summit and, you know, um, in the women that we serve, you know, as clients, What we're trying to do is make that the norm, make that common so that the women feel like this is the expectation I should be demanding of my workplace as opposed to, oh, this is so rare. You know, for the women who could be in one of two positions, one, they maybe haven't had a mentor. They haven't had somebody who has spoken into their life and their career. And maybe they're like in their late 30s or early 40s or 50s. And they're thinking of a career change. And they're going, you know, I haven't had that. So how they find that. And Mm -hmm. two, for the other person who's like, you know what, I, I did have that. And I want to speak into that per- to, into somebody else's life how do i go best go about doing it and then this is sort of a third piece and forgive me for asking like three questions in one cuz we've got like the person <laughs> who needs the mentor the person who wants to mentor and then how do we find that balance because this is something i've struggled with in wanting to mentor or find a mentor and not pulling a let me pick your brain Oh, girl, I can definitely talk about that. You know know what I'm you know exactly where I'm going with this. hundred percent. Okay, go go for it, Heather. Let me go through all three of your things. So for the woman who is looking for a mentor, um, you haven't had one or you're seeking one out for the first time. There are two things I would tell you that you can do easily and well yourself. The first is to not downplay virtual mentors. So I will use Sarah Blakely as an example of one of my virtual mentors. Sarah Blakely is the founder and creator of Spanx. Yeah. She, um, you know, just sold Spanx for a kajillion dollars to Blackstone. And I admire so much about how Sarah is an innovator and a creative and a champion for women and all of those things. I do not have a personal relationship with Sarah Blakely, but I ingest as much of her content as I possibly can. I read every book she writes, every interview she does. I watch or read or listen to. I follow her on social media. I pay attention to what she's doing because I'm taking business principles and insights and things away from her, um, even though I don't have a direct relationship with her. So there are books you can read. There are podcasts just like Molly's that you can listen to. There are people you can follow on social media. There are webinars you can attend. There are conferences you can go to where you can absorb and learn from people on the regular that you don't have a personal relationship with. So I think that is a huge, easy thing to do. Right. The second thing I would say again, to somebody looking for a mentor is to think about like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? Like 
if I'm taking my own personal relationships, connections, network, and I'm thinking about that and a few degrees from that. So people I go to church with, um, people my husband works with, family members, like maybe my mom's best friend who was like an aunt to me growing up and I've known her my whole life is really good at financial management. And so I go to her and I say, you know, I would love for you to spend time with me, walking me through this because you're exceptional at this, right? It doesn't have to just be professionally, you know, like there's a woman at our church that I um, sought out a a mentorship from because she and her husband have an exceptional marriage and I want to have an exceptional marriage. And so I wanted to learn from her in that capacity. I think so often we only think about mentors in the professional business sense. And I don't think it has to be limited in scope to that. So those are two things I would say you know, um, virtual mentors, and then the value of your network and a couple of degrees from your network. To the woman who is interested in being a mentor and is looking for a mentee, there are so many ways that you can go about this. What I would caution is not to overcommit yourself. Mm -hmm. I think so often we get those emails like, can I take you to coffee? Or we get a DM I want to pick your brain or whatever. And then we're doing so many of those and we're not doing one mentorship deep and well, we're doing a whole bunch of stuff superficially and not, not in a way that ultimately is, is beneficial. But I personally mentor through two ways. One is through the college that I attended. I went to the university of Georgia. The university of Georgia has a phenomenal alumni mentorship program. And I get paired with someone every semester. They have to write me and ask, you know, explain why they want me specifically to mentor them. Anyway, I go through that mentorship program. And the second way I do it is through my sorority, AOPI, and the women that I serve at the collegiate level. Um, I just today had to say no to somebody. And I think there is value and importance in doing this. So she emailed me and said, you know, so-and-so her girlfriend had interned for me. She wanted to reach out and see if she could, um, you know, schedule a meeting with me. So I asked her questions, tell me what you're looking for. What are you hoping to get out of time with me? You know, all of that stuff will come to find out. She just wanted to spend time with me because she's trying to get into a career in an area that I have a lot of relationships. So I went back to her and I said, I so appreciate your initiative, your ambition and your drive for your career. And I'm so proud of you advocating for yourself in this season that I'm in. It has to be a no right now because I'm committed to this, this, and this. I don't want to say yes to her and then it not be a beneficial relationship. Right. And I, for every yes, like hers that I say to, it takes time away from the women that I am trying to pour into and have a long-term more deep and beneficial mentorship with. So I think that answers kind of your third question, which was, what do you do when people want to pick your brain? Well, my brain is valuable. Yeah. So if you want to pick my brain, 
you're either going to pay for a consultation with me or we're going to talk about a way to do it in a deep, long-term, meaningful way that I can be a full in yes to. Yeah. Um, otherwise it's a no. And I don't want that to sound callous uh, because yeah. I love pouring into a developing women, but I have to do it in a way that is intentional and meaningful for the women that I am investing in. It's such a tricky balance and women for sure, once again, just struggle with this more than men. This is for sure something that I have struggled with. And I mean, I've been, you know, kind of in the content creator space for 15, 16 years. And the amount of times that I have like let people pick my brain and then I like get to a point where I'm like, oh, I should not have done that. And I just that's because it's worth money. Yeah. And that's, I, you're giving them things that you have worked hard to learn, <laughs> Molly. And, you know, that's where I've gotten, um, you know, in my career. Because I've launched more than 100 New York Times bestsellers with authors, people want to pick my brain all the time about book publicity. Yeah. Well, I get paid for that. So if you want to pick my brain, then you're going to pay for an hour consultation. And otherwise, I'm not going to answer you at this point, you know, because I have worked my tail off to get to a place where I have that experience and I have that know how, and I have that, um, knowledge and it's worth something. And so I think so often to your point, women downplay the value that they're bringing. And so they take all these meetings and allow somebody to pick their brain for an hour over coffee, and then they're not getting anything out of it. And that person's getting everything from them. Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it is, it's something I've gotten better at over the years, but I will admit I'm an Enneagram too. And it's like real, it's real oh, hard. You're the helper. I am. You're just going to do it. And so I'm just yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> you know, until like, uh, but I've gotten better. I've gotten better. I'm working on it. I feel I'm, you. I'm working on it, but it is, I know that it is something that, um, that women, women really struggle with. Whereas men don't be like, yeah, I mean, sure. But I'll, I'm going to charge you a hundred dollars an hour or whatever. Like they're, you know, not afraid at all to, to immediately like, uh, no. And we have to advocate for ourselves mm -hmm. because we've worked hard to get ourselves to a place where yeah. we, um, have that value. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Heather, I, I have like a hundred other questions that I would love to ask you, but we're running out of time, which is just, you know, okay. just says how much fun we've been having. Um, but before we get to the get to know you questions, what things are going on with you and with uh, choice this year? And, you know, this is the time, like, tell us all like what people should be checking out and, and have on their radar. Oh, but, uh, thank you for asking that Molly. Well, the day that this airs, um, is our Choice Summit. It's our third annual Choice Summit. Um, it is a conference for busy working women who are driven, ambitious, growing companies, leading teams, um, but who care about having a strong quality of life, who care about their mental health and their friendships um, and their uh, relationships but they also want to make money and want to do things in a quality, um, smart way. And so we bring in speakers from across the country and they're tastemakers and thought leaders in their respective spaces. And so that is something that's huge that's happening for us. Um, we have a podcast called Make Me Known, uh, which I'm always super proud of and um, and grateful to be able to be in people's ears just like you are yeah. every single week. 
We uh, also have a course. So for any aspiring authors that want to pick our um, brain about book publicity, we have a, an online course called Booked by Choice. And it's essentially book publicity 101 for anybody who is going through that process and doesn't want to get taken advantage of wants to know how to do it, what to do, what questions to ask, all the things. We've got that. And of course, we would love to connect with everybody. Instagram is our favorite. And I know you'll put the links in your yep. show notes to everything, but our website is just choicemediacommunications.com. But we'd love to connect with everybody there. Oh, that's awesome. Yes, I will have all of those links in the show notes for everybody to check out. And uh, I've, you're just like I said, you're, you're incredible. And I've had some Thank of your you. clients on the show. And um, let me just say this too. And I'm going to say this while I'm recording. So as a podcaster, I get yeah. many many pitches for people to be on my show, like a lot. And I, you know, it's, it's great. And I think it is, but I have created, maybe this is a terrible thing to admit publicly, but I'm just going to do it because that's what we're doing. So I have an entire folder in my email inbox that I have literally titled bad podcast pitches. Um, (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Um, I need to see them. I bet they are fantastic. Some of them are real bad. And I just want to like sometimes shake like PR agencies and just be like, guys, this is not, this is not how we do this. You could have the, you could be awesome and you could for sure need to be on this show, but I'm not even going to finish reading this because this pitch is so bad. But the reason I'm saying this is because I know that every single time a pitch comes through with somebody who's like from choice, I'm like, I need to like, look at this person. And even if it's like, you. So I'm just telling you I can't you that. wait to tell the team that. That makes me feel so good. I get, I mean, I, when I say I probably get anywhere between 10 and 15 pitches a day. And so yeah. I'm having to like really go through and I can't read every single one. And the ones that I get where it's like eight paragraphs, I'm like, I do not have time well, to read this. And when day. it feels like they've never listened to your show, never. they don't know what kind of guests you have on. They don't know the format. Um, there it's on a topic you would never, never talk, talk about, about. Why? for an audience that's not listening to your show. You <laughs> know, it's like, like, why people or, I or, hear you, girl. or when oh I get gosh. like something that's like dear first name, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> guys, the amount of times this happened or I'll get, I kid you not. I'll get, Hey, still like people think, uh-uh. Hey, pot, Hey, podcaster. And I'm like, guys, my name is literally in my Instagram name. Like it is not hard to find my name. (laughs) Oh my gosh. uh, So that makes me just sick to my stomach. Um, It's so bad. I appreciate your compliments because that means a great deal. We really, really try to do everything we can to make sure that we're offering, um, you know, value to the people we're pitching and, and, and thinking through, that's why we have to be consumers of the media outlets that we're pitching is so yeah. that we can pitch them effectively and well. And also that we're reflecting credit on our clients that we're representing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's so funny. And I, I've had a couple of times where like, I've had a guest on, like I've had somebody on, they were great, but then I've gotten like four other emails from 
like pitching them like with it. And I'm like, I just had this person on like three weeks ago. How, how is this email like getting, Yeah, no, I'm not going to have them back anytime like soon. In, in They were on three weeks ago. I, anyway, so oh I'm just gosh. sharing that because I, I just, you know, I, there are a couple different agencies that if I get an email from somebody, I'm like, they're, I'm gonna, even if it's the person's not like necessarily the right fit, I go, you know what? I need to read this because of the the rapport that I have developed with like understanding, totally. you know? So anyway, well, thank you for that. That I means would share a lot. That with you. I thought I would share that with you. Okay. Heather, are you ready for the get to know you round? Oh, sister, I'm ready. All right. Okay. Number one is what is your current guilty pleasure? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have a couple and I, a lot of times we'll do them simultaneously. So Real Housewives, I <laughs> love, love, love. Which one? The Real Housewives of Orange County and Beverly Hills and Salt Lake City. Those are my three that I'm like religiously watching. So funny story is my and, husband knows um, Vicky Gunvolson. I can't say her last name. Uh-huh. Yeah, he like, like he Orange has yeah. like, he has like her number in his phone, which I think is so random and weird. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. Well, Heather Dubrow is back on Orange County this year and it is giving me life because I live for everything Heather Dubrow. The Salt Lake City season has been an absolute train wreck in the best way. <laughs> and the reunion's been going. So I I have been um, really having a good time watching Real Housewives. But for my birthday recently... My boys gave me a face steamer. Oh, um, and you're so the second person to tell me about these. Been, oh my gosh. Listen, game changer. I've been sitting watching Real Housewives while I do a 15 minute facial steam. I put a little bit of lavender or rose oil in it while I'm doing it. I am so obsessed with it. And the last little guilty pleasure that usually is happening also while I'm watching Real Housewives is the Trader Joe's milk chocolate peanut butter cups are the best yes. thing ever, ever, ever. They're so good. They are, they are so good. So the, that's my trifecta of my guilty pleasures right now. I, I'm here for all of these things, even though I've never seen... <laughs> An episode of Real Housewives. I went like my husband had a meeting last night and he came home and I don't watch TV really at all ever anymore. I just don't have time. But I he came home last night. And I was watching I started watching Love is Blind season two. And he was like, oh, well, I've watched the whole thing. He was like, I watched for, it all. He was like, I'm gone for one night. And this is what you do. And I was like, look, OK, I, I don't need your judgment. OK, <laughs> yes. And you will become deeply invested in deep D's. Let me just tell you, like, right. I'm obsessed with deep D. Um, it, depending on the time of year, like I usually have some obsessions show, you know, it's going to be Yellowstone. It's going to be Ted Lasso. It's going to be Ozark. It's good. But right now it's Real Housewives. because that's I love it so much. That's oh, <laughs> that's amazing. Um, okay. Question number two. Now I know you're a big reader and you pub, you know, you publish a lot of books or you, you know, pub, do publicity publicize, for a yeah. publicize. What's the word? My brain's the synapses are not firing right. today. Um, <laughs> what is like when you're just looking to sit down with a book for like, for fun, what do you have a favorite book? Do you have a favorite genre? What do you lean towards? Yeah. So I tend to love like thriller mysteries that I'm trying to solve a crime or figure out who did it or, you know, whatever. Um, when the pandemic happened and we were locked in our houses, 
you know, I read for a living yeah, and I was having such a hard time reading for pleasure. And I'm yeah. a reader and have been a reader my whole life, but it apparently was a really common thing happening to everybody, not everybody, but a, a common thing happening. And so I was listening to books on audible constantly because I could do that, but sitting down and reading for some reason, there is a book called the silent patient that was on the New York times bestseller list forever and ever and ever. It's been on my to be read list. You need to read. It got me out of that funk and like reignited the life in me reading again. But it's one of those like thrillers that you're trying to figure out the whole time. I just bought the Paris apartment to take with me on spring break. Um, I'm in a book club and we are constantly like we read the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And right now we're reading reminders of him by Colleen (gasps) Hubert. Oh my gosh. I just finished that one. And I'm like, oh. oh, It's so good. It's so good. good. It's so Um, good. I was a weepy mess the last like 75 pages. Well, have you read? Well, don't tell me the weepy mess part because I haven't finished. All right. Um, Have you read The School for Good Mothers? No. Okay. But I'll also look up that. Okay. Well, it was on Jenna Bush Hager's book club and we read it last month for our book club. My blood was boiling, but in the best way, because it was such good storytelling. Um, So if you're a mom, you need to read that book. All right. It was just absolutely good. Wrote it down, wrote it down. Two thrillers that I read last year. I don't know if you've read them. Um, uh, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. Have you read that? Oh, no, I have it. Oh my gosh. Read it. And then okay, I'll call me it. and then call me and then we can talk about it because oh, it was we'll so talk good. About it was it so good. It. And it was very much not in a genre that because it was more like fantasy ish, but like not, I don't know. It's, it's just one of those that you're like, what is happening? Yeah. Fantasy is not normally my, my thing, but, but, but like, but not like more in that, like, obviously. So the premise is there's this girl, she named Addie LaRue. She, makes essentially a deal with the devil like three or 400 years earlier and she will never die. But, (gasps) but in exchange, no one that she interacts with will remember her. So, Oh, that's horrible. But until one day somebody remembers her and then you're like, how does this guy remember her? And you're Uh, then like putting pieces together. I mean, it's, Oh, it's good. It's really, really good. And And it's called what again, the invisible life of Addie LaRue. Okay. I'm going to have to order that. Say that I've heard rumblings that there's either going to be a movie or a series on Netflix made out of it, which I would 100% be in support of. Um, And then the other one was uh, the last thing he told me by Laura, Dave, Dare, Dave, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, also very, very good. So anyway, throwing those wrecks out. Um, oh, I'm man. always here for I book talk, recommendations. I can talk and books I, and all day. I am the one everybody <laughs> asks because I work in the industry. So yeah. everybody wants to know what I'm reading or what I'm working on so that they can go read it. But yeah, I love, it. I love that. Oh, so good. Okay. And then my last question, this is the question I ask all my guests. And that is, yeah. uh, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? Mm, I love that this is the last question you always ask. So to me, Molly, running a business with purpose means I am intentionally curating and living out the mission and the values that I've crafted for my business, right? The, you know, what I was created for, what God put in me to do 
I am doing day in and day out. And I am really, you know, taking every aspect of my business and running it through that filter. You know, whether it's the selection of talent or the um, acquisition of a client or the growth of the company or a specific initiative to be a part of or people to partner with or whatever, I'm bringing it back to that core value and mission of why we are here. Mm. Oh, that's so good. Heather, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you for um, how you advocate for women and how you just are just such a champion um, in this industry. And, you know, especially an industry that can often get uh, a bad rep and and be seen yes. as sometimes cutthroat and you know and just the fact that you come into this with just such a um, a heart for advocating and and linking arms uh, is really refreshing. So thank you so much, Molly. It has been such a pleasure. We've got to hang out separate I from podcast interviews. This has been such a fun conversation. We'll have have and bevies I'm so and proud talk of the books. good work that you're doing in your business too. Thank so you. thank you for inviting me to the table. Thank you. Yeah, we're gonna sit and we're gonna talk. We're gonna have bevies and drink, talk books. Yes. Did I not tell you that Heather is just one of those people that you feel like you've just known forever the moment you start talking? Oh, what a great conversation. I am just cheering her on in everything that she does. Loved, loved, loved having her on the show today. Be sure to tune in next week. Next week's guest, I have the inimitable Jessica Jackley. Oh my gosh, we had the best conversation. You are not going to want to miss it. As always, I would love to know what you loved about this episode, or maybe if you learned something new. If you do, please let me know on social media. Tag me, find me. I'm at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And don't forget to use that hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you are a first time listener, welcome, new friend. Be sure to check out the archives for past shows featuring so many incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are changing the world. And if you're one of my regulars, thank you for your support. It means the world to me. All of you head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts, click that subscribe button. Clicking that button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you take a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. Thank you to my incredible producers at Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening. Go do something good with purpose on purpose.